You are listening to 21st Century Women. I'm Jenna Cumming, a podcast created to find and share the stories of fabulous women doing fabulous things. And if you are a brand new listener, a very big welcome aboard. I can't wait to share with you today's episode and this absolutely fabulous woman. She really has done it all. The wonderful Amy Smith has lived and worked all over the world. I try to always maintain a sense of humour and I also didn't try to be any less female. And female to me didn't mean, you know, Jane Austen or sitting around in pastel colours and, you know, being insipid. I, I think female is, is, is very strong, can be very strong. Amy was CEO of Jenny Craig and took it from Magda to Mel B, literally. <laughs> she has one of Australia's most creative minds that connects magnificent campaigns to innovative results. After working for Telstra, Grilled and other huge brands in senior positions, she established Rise Productions, a marketing and brand strategy consultancy designed to grow and revitalize brands. Man, I'm definitely not giving this woman enough credit. So let's cut to the chase. Please welcome the fabulous Amy Sue. We have spoken beforehand about balance and the struggle of balance. Um, men and women too at the moment, but I'm, we'll focus on women um, given it is 21st century women. But women in jobs at the moment, having kids, um, society at the moment, we have to work and we have to have kids, the balance is tough. So from you're a woman, you've done it all, you've been a CEO, been a mum, you've done it all. How do you balance? Is the balance harder now, do you think, with life getting more and more hectic? What's your, what's your advice on balance? I think balance is... Um, I think balance is kind of bullshit. <laughs> I call bluff. <laughs> um, because I think it's an unattainable state, at least if you are really to believe all of the books that are written and, you know, I read this morning that self-help books are about $12.4 billion or something ridiculous. Is it really? Um, in Australia. Like it's just in the world. It's just ridiculous. So, you know, that, that gets me quite stressed, even just thinking about it. I did go to a conference um, and it was on work-life balance, mm. uh, which is where I deduced that balance is actually bullshit. Um, and we had to spend a day drawing a pie chart and then the quadrants of our life. So how much time do we spend sleeping? How much time do we spend working? How much time? How much time? And I remember looking at my pie chart and, like, I had this teeny-weeny little slither for sleep. I had virtually no slither for exercise. I had a massive chunk uh, of a slither, you know, for work. And then it was kind of domestic kids, blah, blah. And the person who hosted the, um, the work-life balance seminar came over to me and, you know, looked down at my pie chart and sort of shook her head and put her hand on my shoulder <laughs> as if she felt really sorry for me. <laughs> and I just couldn't help myself. I stood up and said, look, I actually came here to feel better and now I just feel even worse. <laughs> so um, if anybody wants to get some balance 
uh, I'm going to the pub <laughs> and I'm going to have a stonkingly huge glass of shardy and um, I'm going to grab what's left of today before I have to go home to two children under two and a husband who I think is having an affair. Oh, great. And funnily enough, um, I got up and walked out and then as I was standing at the lift, about nine or ten other women sort of came to. <laughs> and this is, we went to the pub and our definition of balance was do what you love because it's going to be really, really hard. Mm. And if you don't love it, then just don't do it because it's too hard. Yep. So my number one thing about balance is probably not about balance. It's find your passion. Yeah. And try and stay as true to it. And the second thing is particularly once you've had children, the sooner you let go of your former self, the easier it is. Yeah. Because a lot of the striving for balance is actually not for balance. Mm. It's striving for your BC before children moment. It's gone. Get over it. It's never, ever, ever coming back. <laughs> you will never have the freedom. You will not sleep for six years. You will always feel guilty, responsible, exhausted, joyful, crazy, um, full of love that just overwhelms you and terrifies you. Mm. And that's your new normal. <laughs> You've really sold I'm not having kids for 20 years. Well, the, the thing about kids is, is, you know, there is no perfect solution to balancing kids and work. I've got girlfriends who don't work, girlfriends who have worked. Now we've all got teenagers, pretty much the ones who stayed at home have the same issues with their yeah. teenagers as the ones like me who had to work to support them. Um, it all comes out in the wash yeah. and all this crap about finding your balance is actually holding you back yeah. from accepting your new reality and finding joy in it yeah. um, and looking at how you can make it work for you, yeah. not try to look back over your shoulder or try to draw stupid pie charts and then feel completely defeated yeah. because you realise you have no life, you get no sleep and you're really miserable. Yeah. You're meant to be miserable because you're exhausted and also because you, you, you're constantly referencing something that doesn't exist anymore. Spot on. So when you said before, you said you have to let go of your former self. Mm -hmm. Tell me the difference, if there is, between former self and identity because some people out there who don't have, don't have kids yet, me included, go, when I've got kids, my identity's gone. Like I'm so, not so much gone, I'm so scared of losing my identity. Are they two different things? Yeah, I think they are two different things. I think, well, I had my kids quite late, mm. so my identity was fairly fully formed. Um, I can't and wouldn't presume to tell people either way, but I'd certainly um, done a lot in my life. Mm. So by the time I had them, I really didn't feel like I was missing out on just the usual stuff. Yeah. You know, I'd been to enough parties, I'd had enough lovers, I'd, you know, I'd travelled around the world, I'd worked uh, pretty much everywhere except, um, well, Eastern Europe, South America, 
and some parts of Asia. As you do. <laughs> Where I have worked. Um, uh, you know, I'd, I'd bought houses, renovated them, sold them. I'd got a lot out of my system. Mm. So children for me were just miraculous. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that I didn't struggle with it because the more fully formed you are, the more, I guess, definite you are and mm. you've lived a certain way that you've lived for a long time. Nothing prepared me for the sense of accomplishment. I mean, my first birth was really tough and I remember um, after the gruelling, you know, bits of it, Mm. um, what happened to me, I I remember, you know, grabbing my husband at the time and saying, I just want to do it again, which was crazy. But (gasps) it's like this feeling that you've, you've, you're more powerful than you can ever imagine. You're more powerful than you... You've just brought yeah. life into the world. You have, and yeah. it's the most astonishing feeling. Mm. And it's such a rush at the time. And I remember going back to work and looking at the guys who used to, you know, intimidate me and at times make me feel quite afraid some days. Mm. And I looked at them and just thought, what? Nothing will ever scare me again. The only thing that will ever scare me is if something happened to that little person. Yeah. That never leaves you. Yeah. And living with that fear um, is something that takes, I think, a minimum of, well, I'm still feeling it, and Mm. what are they, 15 and 14, Mm. and it's fear about different things. You know, you start being worried if you drop them or (laughs) if the bath's too hot or they're too hungry, or they're crying. You know what the hell they're crying for. Now, you know, I worry that she's going to go get her belly button pierced or, you know, someone's going to break her heart or she's going to fail at school or anything that's going to hurt her. Mm. You don't become less of an identity. Your identity expands exponentially and it keeps expanding like your heart does. It just means that the the fullness of it at times is is a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Um, if you are the sort of person who wants to maintain life as you did before, I think then um, probably your identity is really challenged. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, mm. but you actually become the higher self. Yeah. As a, as a, at least that was that was my experience. Mm. I had more clarity, I had more calm. I was tired, but I was a hell of a lot more efficient. Yeah. and I really started to see my life in order of you know the things that served me and the things that served no purpose. Yeah, and because you're so time poor, you tend to edit. Yep, I like that word. I I edited my life. Yeah, and that's a good skill. Yeah. So you spoke before, you have had kids, gone through the corporate ladder all over the world, dare I say. You've come through a phase where women in that, going through that corporate phase, women, it wasn't a popular thing, right? Were you a masculine woman because of that? Because I look at you now and I think you're you're a strong, but you're feminine, but you're very strong. Mm. But I kind of feel there's so many women that had to be just so masculine and just replicate a man. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of pressure to to 
fall in line? I mean, when you think about corporate life is based on hierarchies and departments and pretty much, you know, following orders and levels of authority and approvals and it's based on the military. It's a male construct. It's mm. changed a lot since I started working. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think my approach to it was always... Um, I'd grown up with brothers. Uh, I'd grown up with a father who was a schoolmaster. We had a house full of stinky uh, boys for my whole upbringing. <laughs> so I was no, you know, being around guys to me, you know, was rough and tumble from yeah. the get-go. Um, I think many women probably interpreted the need to kind of dress like men, mm. you know, act like men. They were like uber men. They were more men than the men. Yeah. I think to be flesh and blood first is the most important thing in any scenario. But I, I tried to, um, I tried to always maintain a sense of humour, and I also uh, didn't try to be any less female. Yeah. And female to me didn't mean you know Jane Austen uh, or sitting around in pastel colours and. Um, you know, being insipid, I I think female is, is, is very strong, can be very strong. That's not to say that it was always appreciated. I was always um, told I was a pain in the ass, <laughs> relentless, persistent, the most tenacious person, annoying, inspiring, but tiring, um, like a dog with a bone, uh, <laughs> funny, um, too clever for my own good. So it's all times, pretty positive things, well, by the way. Well, at times, you know, my 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 male bosses, one of them used to call me Millie Tant uh, <laughs> in London, um, which I was very proud of. Um, I've probably been called every name under the sun. Mm. Um, I would hope that women didn't still get that, but I think they do. Yeah. And I think there's still this tendency to see a strong woman as... Um, aggressive and um, and that it's a bad thing, yep. you know. So that's what I want to touch on next, equality where in the workplace, even in life at the moment, let's focus on Australia because I think globally it's too broad, but equality in the workplace in Australia, this isn't to discount men. I think what men offer and what they've achieved and what they are capable of is incredible. So it's not about that. It's just mm. how do we bring women through and highlight and celebrate why they're so great. It's with, you know, I mentioned before masculine and females and comparing, it's, it's kind of not where I see it going. It's just, yeah, let's not highlight just the man. Let's celebrate women. Yeah, I think, um, I think this generation, you know, say people who are in their 30s now, I do see a real difference you know, in the guys, yeah, like I've, you know, I, I'll sit there and get all, um, I'll talk to them about times, you know, and they look at me like, that's just unbelievable and that's just mm. awful. Mm. And they're the sort of men that I think genuinely would never and will never behave yeah. that way towards women. Um, 
I think it depends on industry as yeah. well. I think some industries are really evolved. I look at medicine and science and, you know, I wonder whether or not, um, you know, when you look at law and you look at those things, whether or not there's still the same mm. levels of disparity. I've always been in media and advertising and marketing mm. where, you know, women tended to get a lot of the client service jobs and a lot of the... Um, the jobs that involve managing people, yeah, but they didn't actually get on the boards and they didn't get the shares. And funnily enough, my biggest beef as a creative person is that you know they still mm. don't populate creative departments in in um, marketing services agencies as much as they ought to. Mm. Um, you know, I remember my first um, job in advertising, albeit you know in the early nineties in London, and the guys had a padlock on the creative department door and they said no totty totty meaning chicks because you're we, kidding me no 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 because we were we were the um we were the client service people who represented the clients and they didn't they hated that um they didn't want us actually telling them how the client felt they just thought you know we were a necessary evil but then again, you know, I look at some of the creative guys that I work with, you know, Larry Barker, who obviously of the two Ronnies, mm, son, mm, mm. Um, and some wonderful, wonderful creative men uh, for that decade. One of them actually on Facebook um, said he was still smoking his camels and <laughs> downing a G&T the other night and he wrote a list of all the people that had really influenced him. And he wrote quite a long list, but they were all men. And mm. I wrote back to him and said, Rooney, what about the chicks? <laughs> and he went, oh, yeah, you yeah. <laughs> and Amanda and like half a dozen others who then all piled in and went, yeah, well, yeah. it's just tragic that we had to remind you yeah. that we were there. Yeah. You know, we were there too. <laughs> God. Yeah. So equality then, do you think we're getting there or what? I think that equality is really only defined in one dimension for me now. I mean, equality comes down to money for me. I yeah. think I've always fought for women to have um, economic independence mm. for many reasons. Yeah. Um, but I think that pay equality is probably the single biggest thing. Anything else mm. is just fluff. Yeah. So um, when I hosted did seminars, I used to when I was a CEO get invited to speak a lot of these things and you know I was on the um the UNICEF I'm not UNICEF can't remember what it was there was a a, a group of women that were doing um International Women's Day and it was pay equality and mm. they audited the top 200 companies and they looked at how many women were on board they still do it every year mm. and they looked at the pay gap which is around 18 percent across the board and mm. it's still the same it's still Nothing's the same changed. yeah yeah and that's that's so depressing yeah they're pretty um, much saying that women should stop getting paid in October. That's that's what it equates to. So women, you get paid up until October the last couple of months. No, you don't go on holiday. Stick around. Yeah. But that's what it is. Well, I mean, it, it hasn't changed. No. Um, after all this time. Yeah. Which is why, you know, when I got up, the last time I, I actually spoke on this subject, I was feeling fairly um, depressed by it. And I wrote um, something on a you know, one of those flip charts that was something like um, pay your daughter less pocket money than your son's to prepare her for working life. 
and everybody got really offended. And I'm like, why is it offensive when half half the businesses in this room would be guilty of this? Mm, it's reality. Um, and I know friends who, you know, are educators of girls and who are mm. principals of girls' schools, and they'll tell you to this day that the boys' schools get far greater donations because the parents feel, oh, what's the point, because she's just going to go and get married, you know. Um, and then I look around the world and I still see countries that don't believe in even educating girls. Yeah. So I think there's, in answer to your question, I think the pay equality for me is the only definition of equality that I'm interested in mm. now because mm. the pay equality issue is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. Men can pay as much lip service, women can pay as much lip service yeah. to, you know, work-life balance and different flexible working hours and this and that. But the reality is that pay gap is a disgrace yeah. and it hasn't changed. So... Mm. Is it equal? No. Why is this happening? Oh, well, I think it's I think it's quite complex, but I think that um, I think that the the issue of how do you how do you balance family uh, is a tough issue. Mm. Um, I I had to support two children, um, so uh, to all those women who said I worked because I was you know. Um, up my own ass and selfish. Well, I wasn't. Um, I had, I've had no support at all mm. from um, anyone. So I've had to raise two kids on my own and that kind of put things into very, very clear focus in terms yeah. of priorities. So I fought really hard. Yeah. And I sat in rooms, you know, in the early days and got passed over for promotions and the boss would say to me, yes, but he's got to support a family. And I'd be like, well, what do you think I'm doing? Or do you think I should be hooking at night? You know, what was his response when you say, well, well I'm he, a family? he'd say, well, why can't your husband help you? And I'm like, because he doesn't, he won't. And it's not the point. Yeah. But I'm sure you could get some help from somewhere else. Well, no. And that's not the point. Mm. I also used to um, laugh because they, you know, often men will promote each other. And, you know, I get... <laughs> I, I didn't play enough golf, clearly, but one of the things that was funny was I was always asked to be the wind beneath his wings. Look, mm. we're going to put him in the job, but can you shadow him and just make sure that, you know, it, it all goes well? Because what you do is motivate the team, what you do is make things happen, but we're going to give him the job. That was very, very tough. And, um, you know, most of the time I said no. And that, should. Yeah, and that meant that I had to sort of... Um, well, then you've really only got one choice, which yeah. is get another job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's tough. But, you know, I, that was then, this is now. I um, Is it much different now? Though? I think, well, I, having just come out of two and a half years of, you know, of working for a company and my, my team, very even gender split mm. um, and wonderful and the guys were as supportive of the girls yeah. and vice versa. But, you know, I still look at the leadership of that team and there's no women. Yeah. So I think it is different up to a certain level mm. and then it's just the same. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about your incredible life. But before we do, <laughs> you shared me an article a couple of weeks ago which spoke about why women get close to CEO positions, senior level 
and they either don't get there or they do get there and they choose to leave. Um, and one of the key takeouts I that sort of I liked was they employ women CEOs because they're reliable and dependable and it's safe and secure. And they employ male CEOs for the vision because they're visionaries. And then I thought, okay, well, is it also around males and more commonly known for their sale capabilities and they can sell and make profit? Like where's the gap there? What's your thoughts on? I, I, don't, I don't know that it's so black and white like that. I mean, I know men who are very visionary and I know women who are incredibly good at driving profit mm. and sweating assets mm. and numbers. Mm. Um, I wish I was better at that and less great at vision. But, you know, I think it's about leadership yeah. generally and I think there are very different types of leaders mm. um, and businesses need different types of leaders at different times. Uh I think that men, and often, you know, I, I think that men who are, you know, in CEO positions, um, they're they're not necessarily safe, but they're the sort of they don't they don't rattle unless you're Steve Jobs or someone like that. They tend to be, in fact, much more reliable in the way that they're going to present information mm. and the way that they're going to structure things and you know that in itself is comforting yeah um yeah women uh ceos i was a female ceo one of only a handful in australia for about six years and um it's funny because i you know i used to go and speak at things if i was invited and i'd look at the other female ceos and in the main, I mean, they were pretty creative ladies. Mm. Um, mm. A couple of them were very, um, you know, numbers-driven and, and very corporate-corporate, mm. but a lot of them were really innovative and really creative. Mm. Um, and I think you need a balance of what I call magic and logic in any business. Mm -hmm. I think the, the recognition that you can't do all things and be all things is... Uh, is something that great leaders get and then they work out a bit like how, you know, you look at, say, um, X-Men or you look at the Avengers or, you know, you have a group of people, each mm. of whom has a superpower that they're able to leverage and they're able to action. Yeah. Um, I, I was very – my team at Jenny Craig were 50% um, female, 50% male, six in the executive team – and we all knew our strengths and weaknesses pretty well. Mm. Um, and even some things that in theory should have been done by me as the notional head of the business, my team would say, yeah, um, if you do that, uh, it'll be a disaster because you'll lose your patience, this person will drive you mad and you'll end up, you know, <laughs> sticking pins in your eyes. Um, but so, isn't that great? Yeah, but I would, it, it was great. Because they could be – well, I encouraged that. Yeah. We got very, very close to each other through understanding strengths. Yeah. And through strengths we also then had the what I called non-strengths. Um, and then it was a, okay, what do we have to achieve mm. and what is that going to take? Yeah. And then how do we match the skill set and who's got it? Yeah. Because by – being able to do that, we were able to be very powerful and turn around a business in a very short space yeah. of time. 
yeah without worrying about titles egos yeah and all of the stuff that in theory what i call just just is white noise yeah you know and that's i think something that a female leader um maybe more comfortable doing it yeah. wasn't a democracy yeah. i didn't run a committee yeah but i was absolutely open to the areas where i knew i was no good at and for my team to give me that feedback almost weekly <laughs> and they <It's> intense. did <laughs> so intense. And they did god so intense so yeah, look amy you've been ceo of jenny craig you've been ceo you've been senior you've traveled the world at where you are right now in your age it's like you're you're the pinup girl like you've done it all kind of thing yeah. but go back to so. no, you have <laughs> um you've traveled the world you've lived overseas yeah uh tell us about where you've lived what you've done and do you think having overseas experience helps people to i guess grow and climb the corporate ladder in australia I think travel, and I continue to travel, um, I think it's really important because we are a very small, we're a very big country with a very small population. Yeah. And it tends to be quite samey yeah. in corporate Australia. For a long time I used to describe it as three words, pale, male and stale. <laughs> I am still... Pretty disappointed when I look at the main kind of bastions of power and see the same pale, male and stale. Um, I think um, one of the reasons why I I started life at Telstra, Um, I started at Telstra before it was Telstra, it was called OTC. Really? And we were at that stage, overseas telecommunications, we were private and Australia at the time was leading the world in telecoms mm. and we used to go and build networks all over the world for other people. And that business then sold out and became part of Telstra and we went from, you know, 1,200 people to 70,000. And I remember, you know, the light switch moment mm. where suddenly it became government and all of the kind of emotionality and the innovative and incredible work that we were doing mm. just kind of ground to a halt and became systematised and we had gating procedures and all that sort of stuff. And it was really sad. But um, I did get a chance working for Telstra to travel and see developing countries and um, countries, you know, Mexico, India, a lot of Asia. Mm. And it was extraordinary, you know, even even going to Israel and places like that to see how much respect they had Mm. for us as true pioneers and and innovators yeah um i doubt that we could probably say the same now but um but then then i you know i i sort of thought well seeing all of that made me just want to see more really Mm. and i worked out you know what my passion was through traveling really and looking at how to connect um with consumers and then really my my passion for English and film kind of got me into this advertising mm. mindset where I thought, well, I really want to try it, I really want to do it, what's the best market in the world? Um, and it was, it was London. Mm. And so I went over three times and 
um, pounded pavements until I got an intern role mm. as a 26-year-old and had to live in a council flat and earn 50 quid a week. Yeah. And it was really hard. <laughs> but I was in London, you know, and I was working in Great Marlborough Street and I... I was told by my English bosses, you know, that I had no degree from Cambridge or Oxford, so I couldn't be part of the graduate, the graduate trainee program. But they kind of liked having me around because I made them laugh and I wasn't that stupid. And clients sort of felt good around mm-hmm. me. I seemed to be able to anticipate needs and the English were quite uptight, or mm-hmm. well, they are quite uptight, so I was able to say things that kind of... No one else would say, and then things would progress. Yes, yes. <laughs> Instead of having, yeah. So I had a lot of fun. Mm. I had a lot of fun, and, and London then became Paris, and then um, working for the French was extraordinary as well. I was very glad that I'd studied French and done university French. I was going to say, so you knew how to speak a bit I, of French. I did, I, but, you know, it was... Um, it's something that French is always, I've, I still practice it, I still keep refining it. You still have to continue. Wow, uh, when you learn a language, you, you never stop learning, you yeah. know. But I would say to anyone who's thinking about um, travelling that it's an absolute must, mm. um, I think, until you recognise that we are 1.2% of global GDP mm. um, and that really the breadth and depth of population limits to a certain extent our ability to innovate and be creative because we don't have the population, the breadth of population yeah. to support the new. Mm. So we tend to implement and execute strategies and, and innovation that's been created somewhere yeah. and tested here and either remains or not. Yeah. You need to go to one of those markets where it's actually happening Yeah, if you can to have a yeah. look at it. Now, I hate to say I told you so, but this woman really has done it all. Tune in next week for part two of this special podcast with Amy Smith. Thanks for listening to 21st Century Women, brought to you by the John Rowland Media Productions. Bye. Bye.